text today is going to be found in the uh, very near where we were last week. We're in Daniel chapter 5 today. Daniel chapter 5, and even though you may just have to turn the page from where you were last week in Daniel chapter 4 to where we are this week, uh, there's actually been quite a bit of, of stuff happened between chapters 4 and chapter 5. There's been uh, quite a bit of time elapsed, and there definitely has been between chapters 1. You remember when we talked about Daniel being taken into captivity and refusing to eat the king's meat and all that stuff. Between then and chapter 5, where we pick up today, there's been a span of about 65 years. So Daniel, you remember, he was he was probably a teenager whenever he was taken captive. And so, so here it is, 65 years later, maybe even a little bit more. So at this point, Daniel's probably up in his 70s, maybe even his 80s. And a lot of times, and we'll probably talk about this in future weeks, you see those pictures of Daniel in the lion's den, and a lot of times he's a young, good-looking man, and, and it looks like he's about in his 20s, and, and he's in there with the lions, and he's praying and everything. Now, he, he, he was probably gray-headed, maybe bald-headed. Uh, he, he, he would have been an older man by the time that happened, because by this point, um, he's already up there in the 70s or 80s, and, and that all happens later after this. So, anyway, anyway where we pick up today... Um, well, let me back up. Last week when we looked at it, Nebuchadnezzar was on the throne. He was king of Babylon. Daniel was one of his top advisors. But when we pick up reading today, Nebuchadnezzar is nowhere on the scene because he's been dead for quite a while. Instead, there's a king by the name of Belshazzar, or Belshazzar, or wherever you put your emphasis whenever you say the name. Now, used to, Daniel was one of the top advisors, but when we read it this time, you'll see that he's evidently been... Uh, Maybe maybe he, he retired, possibly went when another king came onto the scene. Uh, they took him out of office. We don't know exactly what happened, but he's not in one of the leadership positions. So how do we get from point A, where Nebuchadnezzar's on the throne, and Daniel's an integral part of the kingdom, to where we are this time? Well, hold on, because I'm going to tell you this a little bit of stuff, not to, uh, not to just give you a history lesson, but it will help you understand what's, what we're going to read, and it's going to make part of it make sense. Now, we know that Nebuchadnezzar's second campaign against Jerusalem happened in 605 B.C. And he had a 43-year reign, and he died in 562 B.C. We know those dates for sure. But after that, it gets a little bit fuzzy. Of course, archaeologists, they, uh, they're always trying to find new information. And so uh, the history around Babylon at this point has been revised several times, but the current evidence suggests this is what happened. After Nebuchadnezzar died, his son, Evil Merodach, which you like to have that name that had evil in it, but Evil Merodach took the throne. Now, he's mentioned several times in the Old Testament, and he reigned for about two years. Now, if, if you like watching those James Bond movies and stuff like that, where there's always a lot of intrigue and assassination and stuff, you'll love this. Because Evil Merodach was on the throne. He was assassinated by his brother-in-law, whose name is really hard to pronounce, so I'm not even going to try it. So this guy, who's really hard to pronounce, he reigns for about four years, and he gets assassinated, from my understanding, and his young son takes the throne. Now, he's only on the throne for, about, uh, for, for just a few months, and he's assassinated. And then comes along, then comes along pretty soon, some guy by the name of Nabonidus comes along, well, I'm struggling today, and he assassinates this young guy. 
And he is he is the son-in-law of Nebuchadnezzar. He is married to one of Nebuchadnezzar's daughters. Some people, some of the historians say he was married to the really hard guy to pronounce. His widow, some say it was another one of Nebuchadnezzar's daughters. Either way, the son-in-law of Nebuchadnezzar ends up being king. He's officially king, but he's not in Babylon for most of the time because he's out fighting wars and doing all these military campaigns. So while he is away, his son, Belshazzar, the one we're going to read about today, who is his co-regent, he's kind of running the show in Babylon. He stays at home while dad's out on the battlefield fighting. Hey, are you tracking so far? So Belshazzar is, is the king, but he's second in command. He's, he's second in the kingdom. Okay, so keep that in mind, and uh, this is going to make sense later. Now, we don't know a lot about this guy, but from what we see, both in the Bible and secular history, he was a wicked man. Uh, we don't know a lot about him from the Bible. We This is the main, really about it, that we know about him from Scripture. But secular historians tell us that he, he did all kinds of bad stuff. One of the things that he did, just to kind of give you um, a little picture into what he was like, he invited a nobleman to go hunting with him. And so they were out hunting, and uh, Belshazzar tried to kill this animal, and he missed. And the nobleman killed the animal. That made Belshazzar angry, so he had the guy killed. Not a nice dude. Another time, one of his concubines said a certain man was handsome. And so Belshazzar's um, solution for this was to have that man castrated. Okay, I mean, this guy is a... He's kind of an impious thug that's made king. So this is the type of guy that's on the throne when we pick up in chapter 5 and verse 1. And and so what I want us to do is we work our way through this, and you'll recognize the the imagery, you'll recognize the story uh, about the writing on the wall. The lesson I want you to get from this is that pride and rejection bring God's wrath. Pride and rejection bring God's wrath. Who of you would at chapter 5 and verse 1? Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. That's want to pause for a second because verse 1 is pretty significant. Uh, these kings in the east, when they would feast, a lot of times they would do it separately from everybody else. They'd have kind of like a private party. Nobody got to eat with them because they were so special and so so wonderful. And so when he's out there with all of the people, this is this is a pretty big deal. Okay, so um, verse 3. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, and wood, uh, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand of the plaster of the, on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. The king spoke to them and uh, spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. And now, if you were just to read this, 
without knowing kind of what's happening, you'd be like, woohoo, third, why can't I be number two, right? But third, because that's the highest he can convey on, uh, confer on somebody, because he's number two. Verse 8, Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. The queen entered the banquet hall, not his wife, but probably either his mom or his grandma, um, entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his noble, uh, the king and his nobles. The queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you, or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. Again, sorry to pause, but uh, when it calls him his father, that doesn't necessarily mean his biological father, but just like we sing the song Father Abraham had many sons, I am one of them, and so are you. It's talking about his ancestor. Okay, and it's used that way all throughout the Bible. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? Now I have heard about you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me, that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me. But they cannot declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you, that you're able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now, if you're able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, you'll be clothed with purple and wear a, a necklace of gold around your neck, and you'll have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Keep your gifts for yourself, or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpre interpretation known to him. O king, the most high God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar your father. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every, la of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed, and whomever he wished, he spared alive. And whomever he wished, he elevated, and whomever he wished, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he became, behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away uh, from mankind, and his heart was made like that of beasts, and his dwelling place with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind, and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you, you and your nobles, and your wives and your concubines, and you have been drinking wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver, of gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand uh, are your life breath and your ways, you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him, and this inscription was written out. And we'll, talk about that in just a minute. But I want to stop here for a moment 
and see what, see a couple of lessons that we can pull from this. The first thing that we need to learn from Belshazzar's example is is that we must not ignore God's warnings. Don't ignore God's warnings. Now he was he was warned by God, and, and one of the principles we have in Scripture is that uh, the more light you have, the more responsibility you have to turn to the light. Now. Maybe does anybody like sci-fi type stuff? I know one of the one of the things that's real big right now are movies about comic book characters. You may have noticed that it's, it's always Spider-Man, X-Man, Superman, Batman. Uh, you know, there's always something. One of the movies that was out some years ago was Spider-Man. Anybody seen Spider-Man? And old Uncle Ben, you remember his catchphrase? He said it like 50 times. With great power, what? comes great responsibility. Now the Bible doesn't say that, but it does say this in essence, and this is this is the gist of this principle. The more light you have, the more responsibility you have to turn to the light. Now he had light. He didn't have all the all the writings of the Old Testament. He didn't have all the prophets standing before him. Uh, he didn't have a lot of the stuff that these Israelites had, but he had the light, the example of his granddad. The humiliation that he went through, his pride, his arrogance, and God humbled him. And he talks, Daniel talks in here about how, how Nebuchadnezzar at one point, he was the absolute sovereign of Babylon. If, if he wanted to make you humble, he'd humble you. If he wanted to lift you up, he'd lift you up. He, he was absolute controller over the kingdom. And Daniel said, you know what? He was arrogant. He was the absolute sovereign of Babylon. But you know what? God showed him that he was the real sovereign. He's not only the sovereign of Babylon, God is the sovereign of the universe. And he says, you, Belshazzar, have seen this. You knew about it. Maybe he saw it with his own eyes. Maybe he was a kid. And he saw, do I have to go to Grandpa's house? And he's, he's, he's acting crazy, Mom. Literally, he's acting like an animal out there. Maybe he saw it with his own eyes. Maybe he just heard about it. There's no way he could have grown up in the palace and not overheard some servants talking about it. I'm sure we all tell stories about you know this thing that Grandma or Grandpa did or, or, or something like that. There's a proclamation that Nebuchadnezzar had issued. We, we looked at that last week. There's no way that he did not know. He had all this warning, but he still didn't listen. He didn't apply it to himself. He thought he was exempt. He suffered from the same prideful attitude that Nebuchadnezzar had. Only his was worse because... He never came around and, and, and trusted in the God of Israel. He was never converted like Nebuchadnezzar was. What does that have to do with us? You know what? God's trying to get some of our attention today. God will speak to us. He will warn us in different ways. And he will, He'll tell us, if you keep going down the path you're going on, things are going to be bad for you. How does He, how does he do it? He does it all kinds of ways. Maybe maybe somebody has a near-death experience. You watch the news, you watch TV programs, talk to people. How many times have you heard, well, I was in this car, rack, car wreck, and I was bleeding out as I was trapped in that wreckage. I prayed, said, God, if you'll get me out of this, I'm going to turn to you. Say there's no atheists in foxholes. You know, he'll, he'll let us get near death, and, and somehow people survive. And, and they'll testify and say, you know, it was that was a turning point in my life. God spared me for some reason, and I'm going to follow Him. Maybe it's a trial that we're going through, an illness. 
Sometimes we're so busy in life that we don't have time to, to think about God. Guess what? God can make us stop and think about Him for a little bit. Um, death of a loved one. I experienced this personally. When I was when I was young, I got saved when I was nine years old. And I, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I was a pretty good kid. I wasn't out doing a bunch of the stuff that a lot of people were, but I wasn't living like I should be. I wasn't really following God. And my grandpa, who I was pretty close to, he died when I was 16. And, and it's not like God said, Jeff, if you keep it up, that's going to happen to you. But it, it kind of shook me up. It shook me to my core. And, and God used that to start drawing me back to Him. And I think I really think that was the, the the real beginning where God started working to turn my heart to Him towards ministry. God will God will get our attention in some way. Maybe we see a, a friend or a family member go through some stuff, and we we think to ourselves one day, you know what? I'm going down the same path that person is. If I don't change something, that's that's going to be me one of these days. I don't want that. They say a wise man learns from his mistakes, but a truly wise man learns from the mistakes of other people. Of course, he speaks to us in the Scriptures, direct teachings, examples like Belshazzar. All these times, God is warning us. He is, he, he is telling us we need to turn around, we need to repent, but many times we're like the people that Jesus talked about in the Gospels that have eyes, but they don't see and comprehend. They have ears, but they don't hear. But God is telling us, maybe, maybe He's speaking to you today and saying, you know the path that you're on is going to end up in pain. It's going to end up in death. You need to change your ways. And if we're not like Belshazzar and, and, and we don't humble ourselves, it's going to end up bad for us. Don't ignore the warnings of God. But also, notice what he did in, in chapter 5 here. He started mocking God. And that's, that's pretty obvious. a pretty obvious lesson. Don't mock God. Because he was a very arrogant man, and it, it caused him to not only ignore God's warnings, but also to mock him. And look at how this played out. Where, where does this take place? Obviously in the palace, but what are they doing? Having a party. Alright, so they're having a party. What we don't find out at this point yet is that there's an army right outside the city walls. So there's an enemy at the gate, and Nebuchadnezzar, or not Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar throws a big party. So Babylon's in a strategic place. They had uh, history tells us they have provisions in the city to last them 20 years. So they they weren't worried about things. What about water? Well, Babylon's right near the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. They'd made a canal that would reroute some of that water to go right through the city. And so there was a hole in the city wall where that water would flow through. Ironically, that's where the army ended up entering the city. They redirected the water and went in through that hole. But they, they were proud. They didn't, they didn't worry about anything. He was arrogant. He thought he was completely safe. And he was partying when he should have been praying. He was feasting when he should have been fasting. Maybe it was to show contempt for the army that was outside the city wall said, yeah, you guys can stand out there with your shields and your 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 sabers and your uh, your spears and everything, but you know what? I'm not worried about you. I'll, I'll, I'll show you how unworried I am. Hey, everybody, come over to my house. We're going to party. 
maybe, and this this is a very good possibility too, maybe he was honoring their gods. They would have annual feasts, and and it seems from history that uh, the the general that marched in to the city he knew about this feast was that it was going to happen. And what did they do after they brought all these utensils out that had belonged to the temple? What did they do with them? They didn't just drink wine out of them, but they praised their gods with them. His 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 uh, his arrogance led not only to to pride and, and thinking that they were invincible. It also led to drunkenness and debauchery. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of people and they say, oh, well, you know, I think drinking's alright. Bob doesn't really say anything about it. But you know what? I've seen a lot of people drink and I've never seen anything good come of it. You know what I mean? Well, I don't see anything good coming of it here. There's that old, that old country song, you remember it? Ten foot tall and bulletproof. And that's what happens a lot of times. I remember when I was in high school, most of all my classmates were drunks. They weren't alcoholics, they were drunks. And and we went to our 10-year reunion, a while, my 10-year reunion a while back, that was held in a machine shed, so soon we expected a whole lot. But I got there and, and uh, found out a lot of them were still drunks. One of them came to, came to the reunion all lit up. I mean, he was he was already halfway there. And if you got a normal person that gets ten foot tall and bulletproof, think what happens when you got a king that's drinking, and he's got all the power. Proverbs thirty one, we think of it as the the one that talks about the virtuous woman, and it does. But at the beginning of the chapter, in verse four, it says, "It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to take strong drink." And we see it with Belshazzar. So in the revelry, he gets a little tipsy, starting to feel good. So he, he has a great idea. Hey, let's just bring in all these utensils that Grandpa got from the temple. Now let's drink out of them. So they not only took these utensils that belonged to the house of God and defiled them by using them in a, in a common, profane way, but, but they, they went further than that and actually honored their idols with them. So what were they doing? When they were holding up that golden cup that had been used in the temple and they were honoring their gods, what are they doing? They're saying, our God beat Israel's God. Otherwise, we wouldn't be drinking out of His cup. Our God is better. Our God is great. Israel's God is weak. And that, that was it. God wouldn't take any more of it. And God, the Bible says, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. Belshazzar sowed to the wind, and he reaped the whirlwind of God's judgment. And the language that's used here is just when they were just when they were at the height of their mocking God, of when when they were at the height of praising their idols, that's when the writing showed up. And it was like there was no way you can mistake. God is going to judge them because of what they do. God is not mocked. You say, now, Pastor, yeah, the, the Bible does say that. But I look around, and there are a lot of people that mock God. If you ever watch some of those guys on TV, if you read the Internet, the Internet's full of a bunch of dummies. Have you ever noticed that? If you ever got on the Internet, looked at any of the forums or something, 
Um, boy, some of them are just, whew, some of them are out there. But you know what? There are a lot of people today that mock God. They deride Him. They put Him down. They don't believe in Him. They scorn Him. And sometimes we look at that and say, but God's not doing anything to fix that situation. What's, why is He not doing that? But you know what? It may seem like people are getting away with it. They're not. Even if somebody doesn't believe there's life after this one, there is. And they're going to be judged either in this life or in the next one. Because you cannot mock God and get away with it unscathed. Now let's pick up in verse 25 and see how this ends up for Belshazzar. Now this is the inscription that was written out. Mine, mine, tekel, nefarsen. This is the interpretation of the message. Mine, God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Tekel, you've been weighed on the scales and found deficient. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave orders, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck, and issued a proclamation concerning him that he now had authority as third ruler in the kingdom. That same night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about age 62. Now the last, uh, the last lesson that we see in this is that judgment may come suddenly and unexpectedly. Judgment may come suddenly and unexpectedly. Now I, I came across the stories I was studying for this that I, th I thought I would share with you. Uh, there's, this, there's this man that had, he, he only had one daughter. And he was super protective of her. And he, boy, he, he was always suspicious of any guy that came around. And there was a new preacher that came to the church. And he was a young man, a bachelor. And he was convinced that she had eyes for him and he had eyes for her. And boy, any time they get together, he was, he was right there, right there on them. Any time they go to church, he was, he's always keeping an eye on them. He was an older man, he's hard of hearing. And anyway, they, they go to church one day and, preacher stands up and he takes for his text uh, verse 25 mine mine tekel when the man heard that he jumped up grabbed his daughter Minnie and ran out the door and didn't stop till they got all the way home and the daughter was like what's going on so finally they got home and she said father what are you doing and he said I knew that you had eyes for that preacher and he had eyes for you, Minnie. I, I just can't stand it. And she said, what are you talking about? He said, well, didn't you hear? He stood up and right in front of everybody said, Minnie, Minnie, tickle your parson. Not too serious, but anyhow, the fact of the matter is, judgment may come suddenly unexpectedly, and that is serious. God sends this message to Belshazzar and, and he, he repeats that first word and he repeats it I think to, to, to tell him to tell the king your, your kingdom has surely been numbered. There's been, a, there's been a limit set to the length of the captivity that's 70 years Jeremiah 25 prophesies that. He had set a limit to the length of Belshazzar's life 
Psalm 139 tells about how all of our days are written in a book of God. And, and, and even though not one of them's happened yet, uh, God's put them in His book. You ever heard His numbers up? Belshazzar's number was up. He'd been, he, he'd been numbered. God had weighed him. He, he'd weighed Babylon according to his, his righteous standard. And He said, You are found wanting. You are too light. And the kingdom has been divided. It's been separated from you, Belshazzar. And given to the next empire. We didn't really talk about this vision that, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar had had, this dream. But he saw this statue, the head of gold. That was, that was Nebuchadnezzar. That was the Babylonian empire. The next one down, the arms of silver. Needs and the Persians. God's fulfilling the prophecy, even in the book of Daniel. And and uh, and so this this kingdom has been divided, has been separated from you, and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now, one thing you may have noticed whenever we read this, maybe you didn't, but uh, in verse 25, the last word is Epharzin. In verse 28, it's Perez. That's the same word, just uh, one of them's plural, one of them's singular. Okay, just just to answer that, if you if you wondered. But you know what? This is a, this is a picture of, of each and every one of us. Each of us has been weighed in the scales of God's justice and perfection, and we've been found wanting. We've been found too light. Now, this is just an interesting tidbit, and I don't really know that it uh, that it meets up with this passage very much. But the Hebrew word that speaks of glory and 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 God's majesty and everything, one of the Hebrew words that's used for that is kavod. It means heavy or weighty. And God's glory is a heavy thing. It's a, it's a weighty thing. But I think it's interesting because in this context, we've all been found wanting. We're too light. God's glory is heavy and we're too light. It reminds me of what Paul says. He says, For we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're too light. God's glory is too heavy. We missed the mark. And that describes me. I'm a sinner. I missed the mark. And that describes you. But the Bible says that, that there's been a way that we can have our, our sins forgiven, that we can be made right with God, and that's through Jesus Christ alone. And if we'll put our faith in Him, He'll save us. But you know what? This, this passage has a lot more to teach us than just we all need to be saved, because that's, that is a truth there. So, what a, what a lesson... For those of us who maybe are, are turning off, turning a deaf ear to God's warnings to us. And we, we see a loved one, we see a friend going through stuff. We've been spared. And, and we just, we, we don't want to think about it. Well, that won't happen to me. That won't happen. I, I, that's a little bit different situation than I'm going through. I, I won't go down that path. I'll stop before I get to that point. No. Don't ignore God's 